I've always felt that God gives us those struggles, but he also gives us the tools to handle those when we look for them and we pick them up and we use them. The Shepherd and the Shrink podcast can only happen with your support. Please go to patreon.com, search for the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast and find all kinds of cool stuff that we have in store for you. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Marty, I'm excited about today. Yeah, this is going to be great. We got a guest. (laughs) My new friend. (laughs) We have Todd Cook, who is a trauma expert, and he's going to talk about that. He's also a devout believer. And so that's perfect for our podcast, Shepherd and Shrink. Welcome, Todd. Hi, guys. Yeah, my name is Todd Cook. I work with Dr. Fletcher at Renew Hope, and trauma is kind of my gig. It's kind of what I've always focused on. Yeah, also, you're my landlord. We got to put that in. Ooh. Yeah, that's true too. There's that. Right. It's a symbiotic relationship yeah. we have. <laughs> symbiotic. <laughs> nice. How did you first decide on trauma as personally a thing to help people with? That's an interesting question. That my background is different than a lot of counselors. I was a police officer for a long time and in the military. I don't know if I, I made this up or I learned it somewhere else, but all research is me search. So when I was going through my master's program, my focus was always on the things I had experienced and I saw other people experiencing. So it was kind of just a natural draw for me to work on those things that affected me. A lot of us do that. You know, we're we're curious because we have these experiences and we want to make sense of them. So the best there, well, I can't say the best, I haven't compared them all, but I know that personal experience matters a lot in doing the work that we do. In a pastoral sense, we say God never wastes an experience. Yeah. Yeah. Use that for good, even when it was bad. He can make good come out of it for other people. Yeah. Let's define trauma, though, because I think that I've heard it criticized as being overused. I think it's underused. I think that people are traumatized in ways, especially children. Because what, what's traumatic for a child may not be traumatic for an adult because you've got some skills to you know, understand. Absolutely. Yeah, Marty, for sure. So the DSM-5, the, the diagnosis for post-traumatic stress disorder, which I hate that. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's an injury. But it requires basically to have experienced a life-threatening event or somebody else's life-threatening event almost personally. Right. So I think you're right in that it's under talked about. So take a small child, somebody that's three or four years old, they see an example would be mom and dad hitting each other. That's traumatic for those kids. And they carry that forward for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Not further than that, even yelling is terrifying for a four year old, for instance, you know, to have because the adult seems out of control. Right. A threat rather than safety. It's it's confusing. It's scary for kids. Even in the ACEs study, they've, they've even expanded that now. So the adverse childhood experiences study that was done, 
was originally about 10, 10 or 12 questions, I can't remember, but they expanded it to include bullying in school because that can be traumatic for kids, you know, especially over a period of time. And it depends on the kid, it depends on the person, right? To what can be traumatic for one person at a point in their life and doesn't seem that way now when something else happens, they experience that differently, right? So I'll give you a quick example. I knew somebody that was a police, now I can talk about this a little bit because they weren't my client, right? But a police officer that experienced a really horrible situation his first year as a police officer, where someone, a child was killed in a really horrific way. That, he said, didn't bother him, right? And didn't bother him for a long time. Then, I don't know, probably 15, 17 years after he told me that story, he had a kid, right? Now, all of a sudden, perspective changes, right? Now people start to think back on those things that happened because, man, I see that differently now, right? And now I can't get it out of my head. It's stuck there, right? So yeah, perspective changes over time too. It's really interesting the way, I don't know if you've read Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score, but it's really interesting how the body and the mind work together in regards to all kinds of trauma. You mentioned the ACE studies, and those were landmark, like watershed-type studies. Can you just kind of summarize that so people know the adverse childhood experience? It was Kaiser Permanente, right, that funded that? Yeah, yeah, it was Kaiser Permanente that funded the study, but and I think it was Kaiser that started it. I can't remember the actual doctor's name that started it, but it was a weight loss clinic, and I think it was out in California. I think it was San Diego, right? I think so, yeah, where people were losing weight and then gaining it back, and they couldn't figure out why. Well, one of the commonalities after talking to their patients at the weight loss clinic they discovered was childhood sexual assault. It seemed that was one of those things that was common in those folks that, that couldn't experience weight loss permanently. So they came up with a basic questionnaire to talk about adverse childhood experiences and find out what of their patients had these issues. And they started to discover that over a period of time, and I think they're up to Oh my gosh, like 40,000 participants in the ACE study. It's, it's the, one of the largest studies ever done. But what it covers is, is how adverse childhood experiences affect people over time. And some of those things that they experience as kids affect them later on. Like they're more likely to have risky, the higher the ACE score, the more likely they are to have risky behaviors, drug use. I can't even remember the, the list, but it's it goes on and on and on that might happen. All cause mortality yeah. increases. All that means heart attacks. I mean, yeah, everything cancer. across because the board. You, yeah, because you get uh, when you're under that constant stress all the time, you immune suppression. Right. And the bad behaviors that come in or, or unhealthy, let's call behaviors that come to try to manage those right. unhealthy coping mechanisms mm -hmm. for sure. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because we try to separate everything out and subdivide ourselves. And scripture talks about, and the Jewish understanding was we are one being, body, mind, and spirit. And the idea of in the Christian world that I'm most familiar with is that of healing for damaged emotions and the studies of, of being able to take Christ with you back into your past to heal, the healing of memories. And when that doesn't happen, how we just 
build up. We over-obsess, we overeat, we over-sexualize, we over-spiritualize, we over-obsess, we overspend, we over-commit. And it's this coping mechanism like you guys are talking about. But spiritually, you know, there's a lot of, of work that's been done in the Christian realm in terms of helping people. And I was wondering about that coming into this, knowing we were talking about trauma, is the need for healing of damaged emotions and the fact that if we don't go through what we need to, we will pay back with interest everything that we go through. And it sounds like that's exactly what you're talking about in a way. And I never really put that in the place of trauma as strongly as I'm making connections right now. Yeah, it's interesting because I think also people that are traumatized, sometimes you brought something to mind, Matt. Sometimes they have a tendency to, in those poor coping mechanisms, also not be kind to other people, right? As a counselor, I've seen pretty good amount of Christians that feel like God forgave them for their sins, right? But they really have a hard time forgiving themselves. Oh, oh, we got to talk more about that topic because, because two things, that one, and then also I want you to talk about after this, how people underestimate or minimize what happened to them as if they're belly aching or crying or complaining or that they have to be super tough. So let, let, let's go with the, with the first point. I think it's really interesting because in the in the field that we're in, Marty, you know, we see some people that are devout and believers and some people that are questioning, some people that are, and I love the, the term wrestling with God. But the ones that believe and understand that when they ask for forgiveness, receive it. And, I, and I've said this to several clients like, okay, God forgave you. So why do you continue to punish yourself? And let's dig into that a little bit. Like, why, why is it we feel like, I don't know, are we better than God? If God can forgive us, why can't we forgive ourselves? Yeah, right. Right. You're, you know, the, it's the, that whole judgment thing, right, Matt? Well, do not judge or you'll be judged by the same measure. Right. But that includes ourselves, right? That's what Todd's saying. And I, and I see that all the time. People are so tough on that. They would so easily forgive some of those things and other people, but not, not for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. What do yeah. you think that, what's the mechanism, what are the mechanisms around that? What do you think about that? Cause I, I've been thinking about this for years. Why are people so tough on themselves? Why are they unkind and unforgiving? And they, you know, they treat their pets better even than themselves. What, what, what's, what are some of the factors behind that? Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it depends on the person and depends on the background, but I see it in in lots of things, right? It's to me it's the same thing as some people will they rely on other people for their for their self-worth or their their identity, right? If I don't do a good enough job and get an accolation or accolade from somebody for doing something then I must suck, right? They'll give that away, but they won't internalize that for themselves, right? And why is that? Why do we look outside of ourselves and outside of God for those things? I think it goes to a spiritual component of we have this voracious appetite to be loved. We have this voracious appetite to be acknowledged, to be just friends with people. And Ecclesiastes chapter three says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. He's placed eternity in our hearts. And, and that's why I think we're always longing for something that we don't quite have. And C.S. Lewis said, if nothing on this earth satisfies you, maybe you weren't designed for this earth. You were designed for something so much more than this earth. And psychologically, we try to stuff ourselves with everything 
to try to take care of that pang or that angst or the hurt when there's really, I think, just one ultimate source. There's so many tools that we need along the way. And, and so we're not living out the joy that God wants for us or the grace or the peace or the mercy or the love or the forgiveness because we're, we're so stuffed. I think that's true, Matt. But I also think that inside of that, there's a struggle, right? Like it's not just, I mean, God wants us to be happy and he wants us to be feel loved, but he also gives us struggles that we're made to figure out and fight. Like, I think the interesting thing about that for me is I've always felt that God gives us those struggles, but he also gives us the tools to handle those when we look for them and we pick them up and we use them, right? So I think, I think that's true that those, we're always looking for something to fill those needs in some way, then sometimes those just aren't, aren't healthy at all. Yeah. Can I run something by you? Yeah. So I was thinking about, I, I think pride has something to do with that, it, but you have to understand pride in the right way. So, so here's what it is. So Todd, we're playing, um, let's say golf or, some, or uh, football. Okay. Touch football or something. You drop a pass. Okay. Now we all know that passes are dropped for a variety of reasons sometimes. So I don't berate you for it or hold it against you. I'm like, all right, you dropped that one. We'll, we'll, we'll right. run a different route. But if I drop the pass and I keep beating myself up, then what are my expectations for myself? certainly doesn't seem very humble to think that you can drop a pass because, you know, whatever, you're human. I, if I drop a pass, that's like end of the world-ish, right? right? So what must I think about myself? Like, why are my expectations for myself higher than my expectations for you? Because that's how it seems to work out. I don't know if this is clear, but- I'm Yeah, no, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. So, so if, if I'm humble, because I know I can make mistakes, I know I do, it's expected, I'm not perfect. And why would I even think I could be perfect, right? I'm just a human being then I, I'm less likely to beat myself up, maybe even kind of laugh at myself a little bit. You know what I mean? When I make a mistake, but when I take it that seriously, there's some pride involved in that. Yeah. I think you're right, Marty. I think being overly prideful can be a, an absolute problem. Because people think pride is confidence. Pride is not confidence. Humility is confidence. Right. Yeah. There's a difference. We get them mixed up. Oh yeah. We, oh, we could talk for hours about the definition of words. Oh <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the logo. So so here's a list just to let people know how serious this is. Todd, Todd mentioned the ACE studies. And so here, here's some of the problems that people come in when they've traumatized as kids, because it may not be obvious, the connections, but listen to this. Myocardial infarction, right? So heart problems. Asthma. Now that's, in, we can't go on about that, but I was uh, amazed at that. Listen, why would you have more incidents of asthma if a child is in a hostile environment or abusive and neglectful? There, there are reasons why, and it involves stress hormones. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get into the science of that. Uh, mental distress, depression, smoking. Why would why, why trauma lead to smoking? Because you're trying to you don't know how to self soothe from all that stuff. So so cigarettes can help you for a moment. Acetylcholine and dopamine, all those things are to get what you're not getting. Disability. Wow. Income, lower income, reported income, lower unemployment, lower educational attainment, coronary heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and the list goes on. This is how, how much, because my view is this, when people minimize their suffering, which they wouldn't do for someone else, if, 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 if you gave them the same story that they had lived, they'd be like, that's awful, that's awful. Then you say to them, well, oh, my parents were okay. And, and your parents did do the best they could. Let's not, we're not casting aspersions on anyone else. They were probably traumatized too. Is that true, Todd? That happens a lot. Yeah. Carries forward. I see it. I, but I also see cycles being broken, right? 
I mean, you can see cycles not being broken sometimes, but cycles do get broken. Well, we're out of business if that's not true. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> we can just okay. go home. I'd, I'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Todd, when somebody comes to see you, do you automatically assume it's there's trauma in their background or how do you help them understand they're just seeing you, they're coming to see you because they are in pain or there's something they can't get over? So it depends. It depends on the person sometimes, but like Marty said, sometimes I do see people that are struggling with, I'm super angry or I fly off the handle, my emotions, I can't control my emotions, I cry at the drop of a hat. These are all symptoms of a post-traumatic stress injury. So you start asking questions. Well, what was it like growing up for you? And I've even had people tell me that they weren't traumatized as kids. And you start getting into specifics and you find out that, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you were beaten every day, literally beaten with a stick every day between the ages of three and 12, right? And even worse, but initially they said, no, I don't have anything wrong. There's no traumas in my background. Well, when you start talking about it and you really dig into their backgrounds, you find out that there are things that they thought were normal that might not have been normal. Todd, let me ask you about that. So when someone presents like that, because I see that all the time, I had a great childhood, all that kind of stuff, right? Never, but, you know, like that book that you were talking about, The Body Keeps a Score, your body will know. And some of those behaviors and, and medical conditions we just talked about will, will show up. So it happened. You know it happened. You don't have the accurate explanation for it. Then where does that energy go or the blame go? Let's say, where does the blame go? If it's not for the people who actually hit you or threatened to hit you all the time and made you oh, nervous. It generally always goes to self. Yes, it always goes, I'm, I suck. I'm a horrible human being. I can't do anything right. Oh, a lot of self-deprecation. It always, almost always goes to self. I'm weak. I can't do this. I'm, the list goes on and on, for sure. That's exactly what, what I see. Yeah. And it's because the amygdala and the hippocampus get damaged in the brain because of that stress hormones over and over and over, right? So... I look at it like, so the hippocampus is the emotional center of the brain. I don't like to say anything is specific in the brain because it's one of the things. It's we modular. Know, and it's the thing we know the least about in the known universe, wow. right? But my opinion is that parts of the brain, when that chemical gets dumped over and over, whether it's from re-traumatization or a thought that triggers the amygdala to dump more chemicals onto the hippocampus or a trigger like the thought can be a trigger or the thing can be a trigger, whatever it is. I see something that reminded me of that, right? Those chemical dumps over and over and over and over damage that emotional center of our brains. And eventually they get damaged to the point where we can't control those things. And we don't know why we're angry at the drop of a hat. And we don't know why we get emotional or cry because we hear something or see something it's because that emotional center of the brain gets damaged. But the good thing is, and the hope is, it can be repaired. Yeah, I mean, there is neuroplasticity. Ah. Yeah, it can yeah. absolutely 100% be repaired. Now, I don't know if it ever goes back to the state it was pre, right? Because I can only talk to my own personal brain. So I suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder and worked through all my stuff but still have some emotional, like there's certain songs on the radio when I hear them, they hit me just right, I'll cry, right? I'll try not to cry, but, but 
sometimes it still happens, right? So it's that control that's still still a little twingy in there. And it's because of the damage that was that happened over a period of time because of the chemicals. Well, can I ask you a personal question? Yeah, absolutely. Why do you try not to cry if you're in the car and you hear that? And Oh, uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, sometimes I don't stop it, but sometimes I do. I think, Marty, I think honestly, it's because I try to control it to see if I can control that hippocampus a little better. Okay. I think that's what it is. I got to you. see if I can get control of it a little bit more. Yeah. Always, always curious about that, especially with men, because when I, because, because I held back crying so much that I didn't have I'm, my motor pathways were cemented in to make sure I didn't cry. And I had a hard time getting that to open back up and rewire around that. But what right. I found is that that idea of catharsis, it can work if you don't fight it. That's why I asked you, because I was trained by my therapist. And they, it really helped me, at least as the emotion starts to peak that's when we'll shut that down if we don't have supportive relationships because, you know, sadness is an attachment emotion. And when we cry, we're supposed to be comforted by other human beings or even by ourselves to see ourselves. And I, it was already automatic that it was, I was going to shut that down. So as I learned to do that, when I was done with it, I had the experience of, wow, first of all, that almost like refreshing, you know what I mean? Like I felt calm and peaceful. And then when I had those memories or I didn't have the intense emotion because it did complete itself like it wanted to. No, what I'm talking about isn't going back to an event, moreover, just trying to control the hippocampus. Yeah, I guess what you're saying. It's almost like working out. You know what I mean? You're trying to exactly. uh, acquire a function and improve it. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Where's the hope for people in all this? So the work that I do, Matt, is to lessen the impact of that trauma, right? We're never going to make what happened to somebody go away. And even all the people that I work with, that have trauma, specifically veterans and police officers and firefighters, if if you ask them, would you want, if I could take this away from you, right? If I could make this have never happened for you, you forget the whole thing. Would you want me to do that for you if I could? And almost to the one, almost every one of them will say no, because what I experienced made me who I am, right? So they don't want that experience to go away but we can lessen the impact of that experience, right? It doesn't have to impact them the way it does. We can make it so they can talk about the event and not completely break down every time they even think about it. We can stop that trigger from going off again and again and again. Mm -hmm. so, so, so you're doing a couple of things. First of all, obviously symptom relief, right? But then the second thing that you're doing, at least you're suggesting, is you have to create meaning around that. Absolutely around that trauma and, and make it relevant. And you, cause I do that all the time. Like I'm, I can't tell you, I would want the things that happened to me to be gone because I use that in my job now. It just doesn't have its emotions around it generally. Right. So yeah, meaning is a big part of what we do after we get through the whole process. So I do a lot of EMDR, a lot of processing of the trauma, but then what does it mean? Right. How can we use what happened to us and, and give it meaning? Right. So that it, it's not, it doesn't just, wither away into nothingness or you're replacing the uh, well i deserved it and you know sort of feelings or, or ideas yeah yeah absolutely yeah meaning is huge i mean logotherapy and victor frankl or victor frankl is my guy i mean i'm a big advocate and follower of victor frankl's work well me too he's a big influence on me have you are you familiar matt with victor frankl's work a little bit yeah yeah from world war ii yeah 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 concentration camp survivor what's left of a person 
after they've taken everything away. Yeah. So about police officers, can we talk a little, because we say whatever we want on this podcast. Yeah. Because these days you have to, because no matter what you say, someone's going to be offended. <laughs> someone's going to be offended by it. I'm good with that. <laughs> so, so, you know, as a former police officer and someone who cares about the people that you treat too, these men are, they see horrible things. And you mentioned earlier on that we can be traumatized. We don't have to have it happen to us. Sometimes it's worse by seeing it happen to someone else. So I'm thinking of sibling sexual abuse, you know, the, the, the person oh, yeah. who's trying to protect her sister is more traumatized when she finds out that the sister actually was exposed to the right. Yeah. Trauma. Right. Right. What is it doing to these police officers and you too, to see them attack? So. Oh, it's horrible. Energetically in the media. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about meaning, right, Marty, I'm doing this job because it gives me meaning and seeing these things is horrible. But now not only do I not have, not only do I not have the, the, the lack of support, pulls away from my whole reason I'm doing what I'm doing, right? I mean, think about guys from Vietnam that came back that were spit on, Mm -hmm. kind of the same effect. Mm -hmm. It's that same secondary trauma. It's that same stuff. You know, look, if I have to go to a car with tinted windows and I don't know who's in there because their windows are tinted and, but I do know that because, you know, you're trained about all the dangers in that. Me, like, you know, they talk about the talk, I give my kids that talk. You obey what that person says. If there's a problem, we'll deal with it later on, but he's going to be nervous potentially. So you make him feel calm so he can do his job. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That that talk should be given to every kid. Every single person to, to, to the same way you tell them how to treat, how to relate to a store clerk or your teacher or your well, doctor at the doctor's office, anybody. That talk it, it, to me is not evidence that police officers are dangerous people and not trying to protect. They used to be the good guys. I, I know I wanted to be a cop when I was a little kid because I saw them as, now I'm not saying a hundred percent, but overwhelming majority of these men. And I, you know, I, I just know from the literature from even unfriendly sources like the Washington post. Right. Overwhelmingly. Yeah. The number of bad cops is pretty small. It's just like any population. You're going to have a number of people that aren't good at what they do or doing it for the wrong reasons. That's going to happen. Everybody. I mean, that is prejudice. You're prejudging an entire group of people and you're not seeing an individual anymore. You know, if you're doing that as a Christian, if you're not loving your enemies as a Christian, and it's very, very hard, right? I, I, can, I have to struggle with some people, but I know it's me. I know it's not them. I know it's my intolerance or my past hurts. If you're not loving your enemies and you're trying to do some work, social justice work, whatever, or talking or whatever, you better drop to your knees and bitterly repent of that and ask for that to be taken from you because you're going to do more harm than good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Marty. And, and you're right. It is, it is one of the most difficult things we're asked as Christians to do is love your enemies. In my opinion is you don't have to adore them. You don't hate them, right? I think there's a difference there. You don't hate them. Mm-hmm. I can be neutral to somebody. That person, I didn't like what they did to me, right? But it doesn't mean I have to hold it, dwell on it, stew on it, ruminate on it, and hate them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's wanting the best for the other person, which doesn't mean you turn into a doormat for them again. That would not be the best for them, is to continue in a behavior that was destructive to other people. But to want the best for other people, which would include, you know, them having a living relationship with God themselves and a life transformation. But you you can't wait for that to happen. If you don't learn to love them, you're going to be carrying that around with them. 
it's something that the we are fed on the hate. We are being spoon fed to hate. And, and I think that there's a level of trauma that comes from repeatedly watching over and over and over and over online, all the horrific stuff and all the horrific things that people say. And I wonder if that isn't some kind of secondary trauma or if that even has a name as we get traumatized by things that don't happen directly to us and don't even happen within our vicinity, but they do because we're exposed to them. You know, it goes the same. I mean, the same thing with sex addicts or anybody who is exposed online to things far away and you're this observer, you know, spectating is 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 the way that we are taught to be is spectators, which means I am living my life vicariously through somebody else. And that's why I hate screens. That's why I hate kids with screens. That's why. I hate to see kids with screens. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to help you yeah. out and correct you. Thank you. Matt. Yeah, no, no, I don't hate them all. You child hater. No way. Help me. <laughs> help me. But I think that just the idea of trauma, I think a lot of us who aren't trained would say, well, gosh, is that trauma? Is that that big a deal? Or is this not trauma? It's just something I'm struggling with. Does that even matter? Is that conversation worth having within ourselves or with somebody professionally, whether or not something. Yeah, I think it's worth having, Matt. I think we we have to be careful what, first of all, what our kids are watching. I mean, this crazy social media world we're living in, people are exposed to things that they shouldn't be exposed to. Mm -hmm. Including adults. Absolutely, yeah. And those things can be traumatic in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. So if, I, I like to look at it like this because people, Victims often, as we've mentioned, underestimate the effect that it had on them to, to be abused or neglected, unloved even. You know what I mean? that's that We know that permissive parents, the one parenting has the worst outcomes, actually. They all have bad outcomes if, you, if it's authoritarian, that has bad, but nothing like that because it says unloved. So one way I try to explain the extent of it, well, first of all, I'll, I'll ask them, first of all, if this happened to your child, if they have a child, for instance, or a niece or someone that I know that they love, I said, can you imagine that happened to them? How would you respond? They go, oh, God forbid, that'd be awful. Well, then, then that's true for you. The other thing is this, Christ, God made us to relate to one another in a certain way, right? What's that like, Matt? What was his wish for us and purpose and intent for us? How were we going to treat each other? Oh, in love and as family, as, as fellow brothers and sisters, the community. Right. So how could it not hurt and maybe even traumatize a person to go against God's will? Mm -hmm. Right. If it's not God's will, who's this it? Right. Yeah. If yeah. it's not of God, you don't want to mess with it. Right. If it's not of God, you don't want to mess with it. So so of course it's going to traumatize us, you know, or has it have the have the ability to traumatize us. Now everyone will have those symptoms, right, Todd? At least initially. But it, it's not def, but it, it's not a disorder until it meets certain criteria. But if you and I, if the three of us see a horrible accident and, and, and we catch a, you know, someone's misfortune and we actually see it, we're not just going to go through a drive through and eat, eat lunch. You know, it's going to have some effect on us, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's the disorder, right? Correct. Yeah. So there's post-traumatic stress and there's a post-traumatic stress disorder mm -hmm. for injury. And yeah, they take, one takes time. Then there's a whole diagnostic criteria to to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just letting people know that, 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 that if they had those symptoms and they were able to, you know, calm down from it a few days later, that's not PTSD. 
No, not necessarily. If it came up later, it could be, yeah. and it'd have to be, you know, meet certain criteria to be diagnosed as such for sure. What's the difference between getting on with your life and maybe you have to tuck something away until you can deal with it and coping strategies like you're talking about? Mm. I guess it's who has control. If you have control of it or it has control of you, might be. Yeah, I think that I think that's the that's the question, right? If something's happening and you don't have control over it, or or something's popping up and you don't know why it's happening, and it makes it difficult to deal with life, mm -hmm. then yeah, it's something that you should go talk to somebody about. Have you heard the phrase "moral injury"? Yeah, because 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 interestingly enough, I'm, I'm I'm paying attention to this in patients and in, in myself. The things that traumatize us tend towards that moral injury. So somebody, you know, stepping on my foot on accident or, or swinging around an accident and breaking my nose on accident, that doesn't injure me on a moral level. So, so I'm less likely to be traumatized. That was just an accident. The goodwill's still there and all that kind of stuff. But if someone looks me in the eye and punches me in the nose and with the intent to do harm, it's the same level of pain physically, but it has a different quality about that. How much is the good, evil, moral, immoral play into your experience treating PTSD? I see more moral injuries when I deal with soldiers, right? Because as kids, well, I don't do it anymore, but... So I'm older. When I was a kid, we used to play army, right? And it's good guys versus bad guys. So I see more moral injuries come when in combat, a soldier has to do something that doesn't align with that, with the good guys versus bad guys. Uh, yeah. An example would be a child shooting at them. So they have to shoot the child to save their guys, right? That would be, in my opinion, one of those moral injuries right? Yeah. Yeah. It's out of order. It's out of order of good and evil and children yes. to be protected. Right. It, it throws a big monkey wrench into, into the way we think about a lot of things. Yeah. Your world is suddenly turned upside down, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Same thing with women in combat. There's, and there's lots of different situations. I see it sometimes in police officers when they have to do something that is similar, because that happens sometimes, right? That things just are off. They're not the way you, the way people have, have thought things were going to go or be experienced. Or what about on a spiritual level too, the way God designed? That too. In terms of some steps for people who would be listening, like, oh man, they're talking about trauma. How do you help somebody start? If you think, whether it's you or somebody else has been through something and you're like, Man, if this is identified as trauma, if this is just identified as them being messed up or me being messed up or something I'm struggling with, you know, like you said, Todd, the control is the issue. Are you able to control this thing or is this thing controlling you more than you want? What are some ways for people, in addition to calling a counselor and talk, or talking to a pastor or talking to a community group or whatever they've got, what are some ways for them to get traction in their lives again? How do you begin? Is it something you talk through? Is it something you pray about? I know healing for uh, healing of memories is a specific prayer where Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. And he is acquainted with our sorrows and he understands our griefs and our infirmities. 
And so you literally take him with you back to those times of trauma or back to those times of brokenness that are like rings in a tree, you know, that you can see, oh, lightning struck that year, you know, or this was a drought. It's a skinny ring or whatever it is. I think it's, I think, Matt, it's more like, because I look at it like an injury, right? And I see, sometimes I see a lot of people trying to pray the trauma away. And because it's an actual physical injury that we can't see, that's difficult, right? So if you had chopped your arm off or you had broken your arm and the bone was sticking out, you would go to the doctor, right? You would put a tourniquet on it. You would find somebody to help you with that. I see it in the same way. Wow, that's really helpful. I mean, and, and I explain that to a lot of people. If you were missing your arm, right? And I see a lot of spouses too of people with trauma. If your spouse was missing their arm and they needed help with their shirt, you would help them, right? That, and, and in that, I'm not saying that you have to help them with their own personal healing of the trauma. That's their responsibility, right? But at least you understand that they're missing their arm, right? And they do need some help sometimes, right? That's different in that you're not putting your mental stuff on them and, and relying on your spouse to help heal you, right? You're doing that yourself, but it does help that they understand that there's something going on and what it is and what it looks like. That's really good because I think that this would help people understand that a little further. You're not making an analogy between physical pain and emotional pain. You're, they're the same things. Absolutely. You're, you're not going to feel pain unless it's in your body, which means there's going to be some kind of, you know, conduction in the, in the neurons or the cells, you know, and you have pain receptors and you're going to get these, you know, hormones or adrenaline or something like that. You're going to feel pain. There's no such thing as just emotional pain. It's not in the thought balloon up in the head. It manifests like, physically. It, it has to, though. Because our emotions don't just exist in this little red heart. They, they only exist in the body. They're, they're, they're physiologic events. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're psychophysiological events, right? Yes. Absolutely, 100%. I see a lot of people that come in with all kinds of issues. My, especially gut health is a big deal with post-traumatic stress injury, right? Sometimes migraines. Sometimes with women, I see women issues, right? Utero pain. They don't know where it's coming from. But psychophysiological issues are connected. All those things are, all those things are connected because it's really true. The body keeps the score. Wow. That's a huge breakthrough for me, what you just said. The emotional pain I may be going through, whether it's from trauma or from unhealthy habits or from trying to live my life outside of God's way that he's designed for us to live our lives is no different from physical pain. Physical pain, we can totally understand, even when they've caused it themselves because they're chain smokers for their whole lives or alcoholics. There's so much more acceptance than emotional pain. Whatever the source of the pain is, is not the issue. I mean, it is for you guys as doctors and as therapists, because you need to get there to, like Todd, you said, to apply a tourniquet, to stop the bleeding to stop the the constant flow of the pain but the pain in our minds we completely distinguish between physical pain like of course i understand you just got a huge gash and pain that comes from some other place because it all 
manifests itself physically. Right. Yeah. I go even a little further because I've asked people, which would you prefer? You know, a broken leg or this depression or this anxiety? And it's it's been a hundred percent. They'll take the physical pain over the emotional pain. Wow. And then you add relationships on top of that. Mm -hmm. And it gets really interesting. Before we finish though, can you tell us a little bit about complex PTSD? So you have single incident trauma, right? Anything other than single incident, which is I was involved in a car accident one time, nothing else, mm -hmm. right? Anything other than that is complex. Right. So, and most of the complex trauma that I see is basically, I can't think of any that aren't over the lifespan. So from when I was born, either birth trauma or when I was two, something happened all the way up through until I figured out what was going on and how to fix it, mm -hmm. complex trauma. So multiple times throughout the lifespan when somebody was traumatized because of something. So oftentimes it's, um, it's, it's, it's how you grow up in childhood. You're, maybe you're bullied or maybe it was just alcoholic Absolutely. parent or yep. divorces can be traumatic. That's yeah. I think if we really looked at people that suffer the most from post-traumatic stress injury, Marty, and we did the ACEs score on them, almost all of them would probably score high on ACEs pre-18 years old. Yeah, okay. Just developmental. Can we pray? Absolutely. Lord God, I thank you so much for the fact that no trauma is beyond you and that you took on all our traumas in order to reach us. God, I thank you that for the insight that emotional pain or pain from emotions is still pain, the same way pain from a physical injury is. And, and I pray, God, that you would help people to understand when to reach out for help, that you would give us, God, confidence to be able to tackle hard things in our lives. Lord, I pray for the relationships that are all tied in with whatever pain and trauma we're carrying around, whatever damaged emotions we have from years ago or more recently. Lord, I thank you so much for Todd and for how you minister to so many people through him and pray, God, that you would continue to do so. Lord, thank you for this podcast. Thank you, God, that you took on every infirmity and the sin and you were well acquainted with the grief that we go through. And yet in there, you have found the pathway to our salvation for us. And so we put our faith in you and trust in you as we approach this ourselves in our own lives and pray this in Jesus name. Amen. 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 True or false. If you become a patron, you can do it on lots of levels and there's all kinds of cool swag. And we're going to be doing a Q and a when we get a few more people involved and that there's a special offer on a gator and you can uh, get all of these videos emailed right to you. True or false. That is so true. There's some really cool stuff available for people who support us on a monthly basis and who support this ministry. If you want to call it that, that we're trying to minister to people through conversations about scripture, theology, and psychology. It's pretty unique. And I'm all about the bling, you know. How about this one? Uh, true or false? We are not only in the United States, but we're growing in other continents, such as Africa. Yeah, there's people from other countries who are tuning in and who are getting involved. True or false? Anyone can get involved right now by going to patreon.com and searching The Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. That is true. And you can see the different levels of involvement. There are some people who are able to give $5 a month. 
there's some people who can give $100 a month or more. I like the dollar donors too, because that tells me that here's someone who really, really wants to do it. That really encourages me. There's expenses that we have, even though it sounds like we're just having a conversation. They, The folks who do our editing and things like that clean it up and make it sound terrific, and they get it on the platform so that more and more people can enjoy it. Please come on board. It's a lot of fun. Do, do some good in the world. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.